0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Life Together on Mission. Together, we're learning to join Jesus in his mission in this world. Thanks for joining us. All right, I want you to tell me what TV show or movie this song comes from. Uh, This was a TV show before it became a movie, and I'll I'll never forget, each week the same line got used again and again. Your mission, should you... Choose to accept it. And then we'd go on and talk about a mission that sounded impossible, but became possible during the TV show. I mean, it was amazing. In one hour, everything changed. So, but today I want to keep talking to you about the mission God's called us to be part of. And at times it may seem impossible, but all things are possible with God. And he wants to work in our lives in this way so instead of starting on the front of the notes can i invite you to turn to the back of the notes and let's look at that together we're in this series called life together on mission this is the sixth and final week of this series and i just want to think about not only where we've been but also why we're doing this series so seven weeks ago i talked about our vision our strategy our mission our values And uh, I said this, that that we've been working on this for a year and a half just to understand what we sense God wants us to do as we renew our vision and commitment to him. So here it is. Would you read it with me, our vision out loud together? To see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. And we talked about the fact of how are we going to do that? And who are we going to do that with? Well, three specific relationships. Life together with Jesus, one another, and our community and world. On top of that, though, we said, how are we going to do that regularly? We're going to gather, we're going to grow, and we're going to go like Jesus told us to. Now, we're mainly focusing on the go part of this in this series. As we think about going into our community and world, how do we do it? So uh, here's where we've been. You'll notice that Brian started the series off by talking to us about how we apprentice Jesus how we do the things he did. And so we become like Jesus by practicing the same habits and practices Jesus did here on earth on mission with his father. So we said, let's look at some of those habits. So the first habit, number one, is pray. Now we don't just mean shoot flare prayers up, but notice that like Jesus, we're able to see where God is at work as we freshly surrender, depend on, and listen to him each day. Habit number two is compassionate curiosity. Like Jesus, we see where God is at work. As we ask questions, listen, and learn people's stories. Now, the pray part is the vertical relationship we have with God. It's always first and foremost. And out of that comes the horizontal relationship. So we learn how to listen first to him. And then as we go, we learn how to listen to people instead of just talk. We learn how to listen and know people's stories. Third is the habit of bless. Habit number three. Like Jesus, we look for tangible ways to meet a need or strengthen another's arm in his name through words of affirmation or acts of kindness. Last week, Steve talked to us about habit number four, and that is that Jesus would eat with people. Like Jesus, we look for ways to share a meal with people who are still on the way. What if at least once a month, we look for opportunities to rub shoulders, share a meal with someone who may not yet believe in God, who may not yet know the Lord, but is open to that. And then finally, habit number five, we're gonna look at this today, is the one called sent. As the father sent Jesus, so Jesus has sent us to go into our community and world and join him in his kingdom mission. So that's where we've been, that's where we're going today. So if you turn your notes back over, what I hope you'll see is the connection, is that we go into our community and world because we're sent by Jesus. Now, you know you can go into our community and world and not be sent by Jesus, but we go because we've met Jesus and we know he's sent us. And as we think about this, I don't know how it affects you Uh, but this is big to me because sometimes I've been taught you go into our community and world and you try and do some good, but mainly you try and be a successful American. Now, when you meet Jesus Christ, he says, no, I, I have a larger purpose for your life than just being an American. I want to do something that's, you know, the United States may perish one day. The kingdom of God never will. And so I want you to be part of that. So, How do we do that? And we've been learning that this is a lot more a part of our everyday life than we've already seen. It's a lifestyle, not so much an event. And so if you're following along, every day we watch to see where God's working and join him, every day. Every day, not just Sunday only following, but every day we see our everyday lives differently. And we put our antenna up, have our radar on, and we begin to say, Lord, Where are you working? Help me see it. I may miss it, but help me join you when I see it. Show me what my part, how I can just be a regular person involved in your kingdom. Now, this last sentence in this section is this, is that life changes when you know Jesus has sent you. Life changes when you know that Jesus has sent you. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but uh, a couple years ago, I I visited another church on a Saturday night. I try and sometimes go to other churches since I have to a lot of times do a lot of the speaking and stuff. I just try and go and worship God in some of their churches here in town. And so that night I was there at the church. I was sitting about three-fourths of the way back, and uh, that was a little bit darker in this worship center. And so at the end of the service, the pastor walks up on stage. He's going to close in prayer, and he starts going like this in my direction. And he's going like this and like this. And I turn around and I, 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 I don't see anybody behind me. And so I, I, I go with my, and he goes like that. And I realized he wanted me to come up on the stage. And he actually asked me to pray for that church as they closed. And I've never forgotten that, but I, I remember going through that, me? And when Jesus talks about being sent, do you have that reaction? Me? me? And do you sense Jesus going, you, I want you to be part of this. This is what this message is all about. Now you may say, well, like, couldn't he do all of it? it?" Sure. That's not how he wants to do it. He wants to work through everyday people like you and me. If you met the first 12 disciples, you would have been amazed at how ordinary they were. You would have been amazed how much they were like you and me. But when they met Jesus, it changed their life. And it changed the way they prayed. It changed the way they saw people. It changed the way that they looked at situations, the way they saw themselves. And so as you think about that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to see the logic of this. Even though Jesus could do it all himself, he didn't just say, hey, watch me, I'll do it all. He eventually sent out other people and said, now, as you've watched me, now it's your turn. I'm sending you. And think about this, if you think about how, if you know Jesus, how did that happen? It happened because someone shared Jesus with you. They told you about Jesus. At some point in your life, you heard about Jesus and you came to a place where you put your trust in him. Now, Paul says, think about this, Romans 10. Look at these verses. It's really powerful to, to just scroll it all the way back. Yes, everyone who trusts in the name of the Lord will be saved. But before people can pray to the Lord for help, they must believe in him. And before they can believe in the Lord, they must hear about him. And for anyone to hear about the Lord, someone must what, friends? Tell them. And before anyone can go and tell them, they must be, here's the word, sent. As the scriptures say, how wonderful it is to see someone coming to tell the good news. Now think about this, someone was sent. To tell you and they said me and they took it seriously and now today we have to figure out it's my turn jesus is talking to me what am i going to do with his mission am i going to accept it or not and what difference will it make what will it look like i want to talk to you about that today we're going to primarily look at jesus instructions to his disciples as he sent them out i want to invite you to open your bibles to luke chapter 10 and if you're using a black Bible, it's on page 842. You can find those in the seat rack, hopefully nearby. But we're going to look at Luke chapter 10. In the first service this morning, I turned to Matthew 10 and started reading, and people really were confused. So I'm going to actually try and read in Luke 10 this morning, like I just instructed you, and see if it doesn't make more sense. Now, before we look at uh, some things, I just need to tell you what, what's up against us. Um, When you think about Jesus coming into the life of a person, I once saw someone draw this, and I've never forgotten it. This guy said, when a person comes to meet Jesus, I'm talking about really knows Jesus now, and they meet him, uh, when they first do, this is the years of their life as a believer, and on the top line here, this is their desire to share Jesus with other people. This person said, what you notice is, is that you hope That Jesus just fills this person's life up so much and becomes so important to them that the rest of their life and time here on earth, their desire to share Jesus just goes up. It just grows. So that over time, by the last day of their life, they're still as interested in sharing Jesus Christ as they ever were in the first day of their new life with Jesus. It says, but what tends to happen over time is that most Christians tend to actually share Jesus Christ less I don't know if you can see the line here, but that line went completely down. So he said, why is that? And that's because just most Christians in the United States, after a couple years, here's what the statistics say, maybe you've heard them, don't even have any non-Christian friends anymore. All they do is hang out in a holy huddle with other Christians, or they just primarily make friendships with people that already believe the same thing they do. And what happens is, is their desire also drops. And that can happen to you and me. And sometimes the reason why this is challenging is because we may feel like the whole job of leading someone to trust Christ and bow their knee to Christ is on us. And we may feel like we've gotta be the one that takes them from like a negative 10 or a negative five as far as their interest, and we gotta lead them all the way to the cross, and we gotta lead them all the way to believe in Jesus. And if I don't do that, then I'm a failure. But the truth is, is that in our everyday interactions with people, sometimes all God wants us to do is just by rubbing shoulders with them, with the heart of Jesus, he wants to help move that person one more line closer to Jesus. And we never know exactly what the seeds we sow or the interactions we have are meant to have. But this is what we're gonna face. And the thing is, here's one more thing. There's a book out called The Outsourced... Self. In the last 20 to 30 years, here's what's happened more than ever in the United States. More and more people are saying, I'm just going to hire somebody to do it. So there's even brand new occupations now called name So that if you can't figure out how to name your child, you just hire a nameologist Because they're the expert at it, see? And so more and more people are coming to church and saying, We'll just hire experts to do this we'll hire someone else to do this or we'll just say when someone points to me they go they must be talking about the person behind me and what jesus wants to say and he said to his disciples is i'm talking to you and i know it's scary and i know you're afraid of failure and i know that there's ups and downs in life but i'm talking to you i want to take you yes you And I want to make you a sent person in this world that goes into our community and world as a real person with a life of Jesus living in you. And so as we we look at this, let me just read the first few verses of the instructions in Luke 10. And if you're following along in the notes, here's what I want to uh, just ask you to notice. In that first line under habit number five sent, Jesus instructs his disciples how to relate to the world. If you're following along, Jesus instructs his disciples how to relate to the world. In other words, what does it look like? Because we have all kinds of crazy ideas in our minds. We may picture someone that's just like comes at us or that is like practically yelling, screaming loud, all that kind of stuff. No, you'll be amazed at how he suggests people do this. But notice Matthew 10, Luke 6, excuse me, Mark 6 and Luke 10 are out to the right. Those are three different sections where he gives instructions. So Matthew 10 is the longest, where he instructs his 12 disciples. Mark 6 is the shortest, where he instructs his 12 disciples. And Luke 10 is the medium-sized one, where he instructs 72 disciples. Meaning that it's not just about the first 12 disciples, it's about many more, including you and me. And I want us to look at that. And so here's the first few verses, because this is going to be part of my prayer before we look at the rest of this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So would you pray with me? Let's pray in that same spirit. Now, Lord, in this series... We've been trying to better understand what it means to be involved in your work in the world, in your kingdom work, what you're doing in other people's lives, not just ours. And we pray, Lord, that as a result of hearing your words today, that we would be one of those workers that accepts this mission and says yes. And we pray that you would raise up more workers. Maybe some of the people we'll meet and rub shoulders with will become some of those more workers that you told us to pray for. But help us, God, to be some of those. Work in our church. Give us an imagination for what this would look like if we did this your way. In your name we pray, and for your sake, amen. Okay, so if you're following along, here's what I want you to see right of the way. Here's some of his instructions. He says, pray, like we just did, and go in simplicity and aware of the realities. He says, pray and go in simplicity and aware of the realities. Let me read these verses, verse three and four. He says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Look at what it says here in Mark six, uh, in Mark's uh, set of instructions. These were his instructions, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belt. wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Now, what is he doing here? He's saying, go simple. Don't try and think you've got to have all these different resources. Don't think that it's all about working this out in your own smarts. Just go, be yourself, go, because it's more about relationships than it is about all these resources you're worried about. And sometimes in our culture today, we can say, well, if I have this technology, or if I have these resources, if I have enough money to do this, he just says, go, go. I'm going to provide for you. I've got a plan, but I want you to just go. Be simple as you go. And then notice that he also says, be aware of the realities. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was giving a pep talk to a group of people, I wouldn't have said what Jesus said. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. I'm going, that doesn't sound exciting. It sounds like death dealing. What's he saying? I'm sending you out in a way you're going to feel vulnerable. You're gonna feel weak. You're gonna feel like everyone else in the world or the forces in this world are more powerful. Just know that there's risk. And as soon as some of us hear risk, we're risk averse and we go, I'm out. Jesus goes, no, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not sugarcoating it, but I just want you to know that I'm sending you out in many ways, uh, just as a lamb would be among wolves and I'm gonna do something, trust me. So that's the first thing he says. But the next thing that he says is what I hope you catch more than anything else in this message today, and it's found in verses 5 and 6, and here's what it is if you're following along. He says, look for a person of peace when you go out. Look for a, here's the quotation marks, person of peace when you go out. Let's read about that in that second gray box, Luke 10, 5 through 6, whatever house you... I probably didn't ask you to read with me. Let's do it. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. What does he mean by a person of peace? Someone who's open. He's saying, you know, look, you may have this idea that it's your job to push doors open, to be forceful on people. No, 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 no. I'm asking you wherever you go to keep a lookout, keep your antenna up, your radar on, and look for anybody that shows any signs of interest, hunger, openness, pay attention to that. And he actually spells it out. If you're following along, he says three things. A person of peace welcomes you, listens to you, serves and supports you. A person welcomes, listens, serves or supports you. Um, He actually says, you know, some people open their homes to you some people will actually get involved and be supportive in what you do some people will at least listen to you pay attention to that especially if you talk about jesus in our culture nowadays or you talk about what god's been doing in your life if someone listens to you that's not automatic in fact there may be hostility at times lambs among wolves but i want you to look for a person of peace i'm going to talk about this more later but just notice that that it's not our job to create persons of peace. God does that. And I want to just remind you this, do you believe that God is already at work in this world? Do you believe he's always previous, that he's ahead of us? Or do you believe it's up to you? If you believe that he's already working, even if you've not noticed it before, seen it before, it will help you step into this assignment differently. You'll have a confidence in his ability, not so much yours. You'll find yourself saying, okay, God, teach me more about this, but I really do believe, even though I can't always notice or see it or I'm not smart enough to recognize it, I believe you're working in the hearts of people. I believe you're still in the life-changing business. And so notice this. He says, show and tell the good news of his kingdom if you're following along. He says, show and tell the good news of his kingdom. Notice that in verse 9, what he says there in Luke 10. He says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so when you go into a town, don't just be a person that talks about truth. Be a person that also shows compassion for people's physical needs and their emotional needs. Be a person that brings healing where you go and not just talking. But... Don't just be a person that all you care about is healing and not talking. It's show and tell. It's not just for kindergarten anymore. It's show and tell. Jesus did this, by the way. Look at Matthew 4, 23. It tells us about his ministry while he was here on earth. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. People knew, hey, he cares about me, but he's also telling me about something I need to know about. That's his kingdom. So whenever I think about the kingdom, that means that there's got to be a king. And why Jesus sent these people ahead was to tell them the king's near. The king has landed. The king and the kingdom. You may not know about it, but I'm learning about it, too, and I want, I'm, I'm sent here to tell you about the kingdom. Now, I've shared this before, but um, when Jesus came, Mark 1, 15, notice how he started his whole ministry. This is fascinating words. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent always means change your mind. Adjust your life to this reality, this truth, is that, God's reign and rule is here. Are you put off by that or are you welcoming to that? The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So over the years, Steve's tried to talk about the Lord of the Rings. I've talked to you about the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. I'll just do it again. When you think about kingdom, it's a powerful, powerful picture. It means that you can actually feel the effects of a king and his kingdom when they're happening. And the good news of the Bible is, is that although our world is dark and fallen, God is doing something about it. He is reversing the curse. He is recreating. He's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. He's redeeming this one as well. And we're part of it. So when C.S. Lewis tried to describe this, he described a land called Narnia, which was under the awful spell of the white witch. And under her spell, it was always winter, never Christmas. And so people lived under this darkness, this coldness, this snow. But one day, this is a land where animals could talk, by the way, one day, all of a sudden, some people noticed that there were spots of snow that were melting and green shoots of grass were beginning to be visible. And people started whispering in Narnia, the spell of the white witch is being broken. And they started saying this, Aslan has landed. Aslan's the Christ figure in the story. Aslan's landed. Aslan is on the move. And they begin, even before they've seen Aslan, to feel the effects of his power and reign. And they know that his kingdom is near. Is it there in all its fullness yet? No, but it's on the move. And they know it. And so what God's telling us is this. Jesus has landed. And he has conquered and he is causing the snow to begin to melt. Is all the darkness gone? Is all the snow gone yet? No, but there's coming a day when it all will be and the spell of the wicked white witch will be completely broken and she will be exiled. This is what we, the good news we have. Jesus has come into this world to save us, redeem us and fulfill his purpose through us. He wants to work in our lives. And he sent his disciples out to say that. Now, sometimes you'll say just something simple, like if you ever wanna know more about what Jesus Christ has done for me, I'd be glad to talk to you. If you ever wanna know what Jesus Christ has done for you, I'd be glad to tell you more, but you just pay attention. I shared a few weeks ago, sometimes a simple question is, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? Like what's your background with God? You ask questions like that, you begin to see if a person is a person of peace. Sometimes they may be hostile or uninterested, but notice this. He says, if they won't welcome or listen to you, move on. If they won't welcome you or listen to you, move on. Notice that Matthew 10, 14, here's what he says in Matthew's account. It says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Now, in the last service, um, a, a person was clarifying with me. They said, now, um, when you say move on, like, can you explain that? Can you clarify that a little bit more? Because the picture Jesus gives is, is go out to the edge of town and just, just shake the dust off. Okay, And he also says, in this case, warn people that there's consequences for what they do with this message. What they do with the king and his kingdom but the idea here is that he also says look it's not your job to cause someone's heart to be open you got to be careful you don't close their heart by stupidity and social ridiculousness but what you want to do is you want to be able to move on jesus did that he went to other towns as well he looked for those people that were open he shared with them He blessed those that may not have believed by at least letting them know the good news, and he moved on. So one person after the last service said to me, now if I have one of my kids who's not a person of peace right now in our house, do I move on? And here's what I would just say, is I would say, stop pressing so hard. In other words, there comes a point where you go, Lord, unless you do it, it's not going to happen. When I was a youth pastor, I remember that there were some kids that were very interested, and there were some kids that were not interested, except when I was interested for them. And I noticed that as soon as I stopped being interested for them, they stopped being interested. So, what was I supposed to do? I remember one day I said to my wife, I said, I'm going to continue to love and reach out to those kids, but the majority of my time is going to be given to people that are open. I'm going to run with the runners. And I remember thinking, this is what Jesus is saying here. Look, invest in where you see openness, share. And it doesn't mean you write off people that aren't. You pray over them too. And you ask, Lord, maybe just my interactions with them one day may make a difference of helping them move closer. But help me not to feel like it's all up to me. Help me to move on and move forward. And so that's the idea here. And then notice this is that He says, Rejoice in God's grace to you, not in successful service. Rejoice in God's grace to you, not in successful service. Where do I get that? Verses 17 through 20. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However... Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Part of what he's saying here is, if you're not careful, you'll get obsessed with whether or not God's using you. And that's dangerous. In the United States, we all say, is God using me? Is God using me? And what happens is we start getting all caught up with that. Years ago, I read Oswald Chambers' wise words. Here's what he says. Usefulness or relationship. Jesus Christ is saying here, don't rejoice in your successful service for me, but rejoice because of your right relationship with me. The trap you may fall into in Christian work is to rejoice in successful service, rejoicing in the fact that God has used you. Yet you will never be able to measure fully what God will do through you if you do not have a right standing relationship with Jesus Christ. If you keep your relationship right with him, then regardless of your circumstances or whoever you encounter each day, he will continue to pour rivers of living water through you. And it is actually his mercy that he does not let you know when he does use you sometimes. I think this is absolutely right. Sometimes we can get arrogant or proud because maybe God uses us to touch somebody else's life, but let's not rejoice in that he used us, let's rejoice. that our names are written in heaven and that he's working in that other person's life and cares about them too. Let's just keep the rejoicing in the right direction, Jesus is saying. And so notice he says, some will reject or hate you, but don't be afraid. Some will reject or hate you, but don't be afraid. So we have all kinds of fears. We have a fear of not getting it right, not doing it right. We have a fear of being rejected. We have a fear that maybe we'll experience pain or persecution, these are all real fears. And I guarantee you, all of his disciples felt that. What do we do with those? He says, when those occur to you, don't stay afraid. Don't be afraid because here's why. Even if they killed your body, that's all they can do. God can do more. And also, even if they arrest you, I'll help you at that moment to handle it. Or If you wonder if God cares about you in this great big wide world, he knows every hair in your head and he knows when a sparrow falls. Trust him. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. That's what he said to his disciples. In fact, if you're following along, Jesus sends us in the Spirit's power, not our own. Jesus sends us in the Spirit's power, not ours. So here's one of those sections I just was quoting from in Matthew 10. Um, Matthew 10, 19 and 20. Here's what he says. When you are arrested... And some people go, when I'm arrested? I thought you were gonna say maybe if, or perhaps if you are. He says, when you are. He told his disciples, look, there's gonna be some tough days. There's gonna be people that actually are hostile. And friends, we all know this. The covering over Christians is being taken off in the United States. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but what I'm saying is it's probably gonna get harder rather than easier to share Jesus with people without them getting offended Or hostile. There's still open people. They're still persons of peace. But there's also other people. So he says, when you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. He says, I'll meet you. I'll meet you. My Holy Spirit will help you figure out how to handle that situation. Trust me instead of just being afraid. And so these are some powerful, powerful things to think about. I could share more with you, but one of the things he says in Acts 1.8, when he sent his disciples out before he ascended into heaven, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I'll help you. I'm gonna give you power greater than your own to do this. This isn't about you being clever or getting it all right all the time. This is about trusting and depending on me. And so let me just share quickly with you a story before we look at this last part. The Apostle Paul was eventually reached by some of these disciples. Because they accepted their mission as they were sent and they went, they eventually did that with Jesus. One of them, his name was Stephen. And Stephen was someone who Paul, who had been Saul, went after. And he had Stephen stoned. And while Stephen was being stoned to death for being a believer, he prayed and died in such a way that Saul, who became Paul, could never get it out of his mind. It goaded him and stayed with him. On the Damascus Road, as he's reviewing all this, Jesus meets Saul, who became Paul, on the Damascus Road, and says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hurting me and my people? And then he says, why are you kicking against the goads? You're, you're, you're trying to fight off something you can't fight. My kingdom's stronger than this. And so he says, look, I'm sending you. I'm saving you to send you. Now go. And so Saul who became Paul did that. By the time we get to Acts 16 he's praying about where to go next. He's making tents, so he meets people that way, but he says, where do you want me to go next? And during a dream one night, a man from Macedonia says, come and help us. And so Saul and Paul, he talks to his friends, he and Silas, and they figure out God, I think, is leading us to go into Europe for the first time with the good news of the kingdom. And so they go. They don't even know which city to start, but they go to Philippi. We eventually have our letter to the Philippians from this. But Notice as he gets into town, he's looking for a person of peace. He goes first to look for a synagogue, which you need at least 10 Jewish men to establish one in a town. He couldn't find one. So he goes down by the river where there's a place of prayer, where he discovers a number of women praying. And the Bible says, as he began to talk to them, God opened the heart of one of those ladies named Lydia, and she came to believe. And she said, if you consider me a true believer, meet in my home, start a church here, live here, but I'll take care of you guys. And she did. And then they began to see things happen. Other people coming know Jesus, but also one day as they're walking in town, a fortune telling girl begins to just yell out loud all kinds of things about their purpose. And so Saul who became Paul turns to this lady and says, in the name of Jesus, and he casts the demon out of her that was allowing her to fortune tell. When the people that owned her saw that they'd lost their resource of money, they had the crowd turn on, Paul and Silas, and had them beaten with rods and then thrown into jail where they were put in stocks in a dungeon. That's a bad day. That's not a person of peace. So they experienced person of peace, hostile, both. They're in the jail. They began around midnight to sing and pray, and the Bible says the prisoners were listening, possibly some persons of peace. But then an earthquake happens, and a jailer walks in and says this, sirs, first of all, he was going to kill himself because Romans said, if you fail your duty, you should kill yourself. So Paul and Silas yell out, don't do anything to harm yourself. We're all here. He comes in and here's the next thing he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now this week, if you meet somebody that comes up to you or in a conversation says, what do I do to be saved by Jesus? I just want you to know that's an open door. Paul and Silas say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And that very night, that jailer took Paul and Silas, bandaged up their wounds. They were allowed to baptize this jailer and his family. And the Bible says they were full of joy over what God had done for them. It was an amazing moment. All he was doing was looking for persons of peace in Philippi and sometimes experiencing hostility and rejection too, but still believing that God was at work in the world and fulfilling the idea of being sent. So how do we close here? Let me just ask you several questions. Have I freely received new life from God's spirit? Have I freely received new life from God's spirit? The question is, have you been born again? Have you received the gift of God's grace made possible through what Jesus Christ has done through his sacrificial death and his resurrection? Jesus said, you must be born again. Friends, if you and I are not born again by the Spirit of God through Jesus' work, we cannot give someone else what we don't have. And so Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew 10. Look at verse 8, the last part of the sentence. It's just this simple little sentence. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. In the last couple of services, I sang a song, but I'm going to spare you from that in this service. But it just all had to do. It's called Freely, Freely, You Have Received freely freely give god cave so freely to us this is a get to instead of a have to the next question is this have i accepted jesus call to go as his representative have i called have i accepted jesus call to go as his representative colossians three seventeen says this if you look here on the screen you'll see it it's just so simple and whatever you do or say Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I love how the word sent is right in the middle of there. As a representative everywhere I go, whatever I do or say. And so that's how I wrote it in my notes. Now, let me tell you a story of how God first began teaching me this. And it was way before I ever knew I was going to be a pastor in case you're suspicious. When I was in high school, I've talked to you about a lot of stories from that, but my dad moved us from Danville, Illinois, to Elgin, Illinois, to a different church. I was not happy about this because I had lived there since second grade, and I was moving to a high school of 2,000 kids for three grades, and it was overwhelming. So my junior year, when we moved up there, I had a pretty bad attitude. Everything I looked at the high school, all I saw was what was wrong with it, and really it was not a happy time in my life. But that summer, after my junior year, before my senior year, as I've told you before, God broke me in the most beautiful way and brought me back to himself and melted my heart and won me back over. And so each morning I'd stand in front of the mirror and say, God, I've seen what it looks like when I'm in charge of my life, when I run my own life. Now I want to live every day with you running my life. I wanna live for you. So I would just pray that each day and just say, I don't know who I'm gonna meet today. I don't know what conversation I'm gonna have. Let me just be open. I'll try not to duck situations if they happen. So I could tell you a lot of stories, but I'll just tell you one. Early in that fall of my senior year, I was in the cafeteria one day getting my lunch. As I'm going through the line, the monitor of the lunch room just said, hey, yells this out to all the students. Hey, we're looking for someone to wash the dishes and we'll give meals every day free and also then you'll also get some cash money. Well, I was working a really good job at a grocery store then. So I remember thinking, boy, I hope somebody that needs money and needs that job takes it. So I went back to the table and as I went to put my tray down on the table. I'll never forget this. I can even picture where I was in the room. All of a sudden across the tick of my mind. Not an audible voice, but it could have been. It was so loud. It was fluent Jeff Nelson. I want you to take that job. I remember thinking, hmm. Now here's why I felt that at first, okay, is because I remembered that there was this big square opening in the cafeteria where the person that washed the dishes stood behind that counter, and I watched other kids go, ha ha, they just make all kinds of cracks at those people, okay? I'm thinking, I really don't need that, okay? But again, overwhelming, like I'm going to sit down and the Lord goes, go now, take that job. So I thought, okay, I don't always do this, but I did that day and I went back and I said to the lady, I said, has anyone taken that job yet? She goes, no. (laughs) And I go, "Uh, well, I'll take it. When do you want me to start? She said, well, why don't you go back and finish your meal? And then after you finish your meal, I'll show you the ropes today, you can start tomorrow. So I did. And one of the impressions the Lord gave me is that I was to do it with all my heart. I was to do it with joy I was to give my very best even though it was this like low low job in some people's minds so I remember that I would actually be doing the dishes and I would take it from kids and go thank you and I just try and be real but I tried to also be upbeat well while I was doing that I got to meet some of the other staff that worked there and one of them was a lady my mother's age named Sonia and over time I did what we've been talking about I was praying where I had the antenna up, the radar on. I was asking the Lord to guide me. But at the same time, I was trying to listen horizontally. So I asked her questions about her family, about her life. And we got better acquainted. She asked me questions about me. And we just got better acquainted. A few weeks into that, she came to work one day and looked horrified. And I thought, I need to just check in with her. I don't want so I said, I don't want to pry, but are you okay? She said, No. She said, my son, who's your age, who's also in your class, my son and I just found out this last week that my husband's been unfaithful and is cheating on me with another person and it's wrecked my life. And I said, I don't know what to say. I just want you to know I'm gonna be praying for you. She said, thank you. And then over the next few days, if I saw something in the Bible I was reading, I'd sometimes write on a piece of paper and say, I was just thinking of you. I don't know if this will encourage you, but I would share it. And she would be very appreciative. She was a person of peace. And over time, she began to ask me more questions about the Lord. And I would just try and explain what I knew. Again, I wasn't a pastor. I didn't even know I was going to be a pastor. I was just an everyday person trying to learn like you. And so I was eventually that spring in a musical called The Clown. And I had the lead part of The Clown. And this musical... In the clown, this clown had met Jesus, and so he sang these songs about what Jesus was wanting him to learn and stuff like that. Well, Sonia and her son said, we want to come to that. And they came, and they heard the message of Jesus. And when I finished that school year, she handed me a poem that she wrote about how Jesus had touched her life through our friendship. Now, why do I tell you that story? I get all hung up on me, but it was all about God's heart for her. If we don't go, they don't know. The hope that Jesus can know. This is not guilt. This is an opportunity. This is a get-to. This is a trust. And so I just look back on that and I think about all the people in our city right now that maybe are open, but they don't know the Lord. No one's told them yet, or no one's shown them yet. What would happen if you said yes? And you're going to mess up sometimes, and it'll be clunky, it'll be awkward. But if your trust is in what Jesus can do in their life, maybe you're the one person that they need most to meet, even more than me or someone else you respect. This is his plan. This is what he is calling us to do. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go and be sent. So here's the closing question. Will I show and tell others in our community and world? Will I? Will I show and tell others as God gives me? A lot of times it's going to mean just living a quiet life, keeping your radar up and asking questions and speaking a word if he prompts you to or sharing a verse or showing act of kindness, but will you do it? So here's a closing song we want to sing. This song is, you know, God's writing new hymns as well in our culture today. And this in many ways is a new hymn. And my brother and sister-in-law shared this with me recently, and I just love it. The whole message is, is that through what Christ has done, through Christ in me, I can do whatever he asks me to do. I can interact with people differently through Christ in me. And so this is really a song we can listen and sing together as a prayer. So again, let Jenny start it and then we'll learn it together as a prayer. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.